Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today on the For the Bible Tells Me So podcast. My name is Riley, if I haven't met you, I hope I get to meet you soon. But thanks for joining in on the conversation today. Uh, Today I wanted to talk to you about God's plans for your life. Because I know a lot of us are feeling right now like our plans are totally thrown up in the air. They've been totally disrupted and maybe you're just a little bit confused about what your plans are. I know that for a lot of us, our school plans have totally changed. Maybe your wedding plans have totally changed. Relationships have morphed a bit and things can feel a little bit confusing, but I hope you know today that even though your idea of what your plans were gonna be for this year have changed, that God's plans for you have not changed. When we look back at scripture, we see that God is working continually through the lives of his people, despite the hardship that they're going through. Almost, actually even more because of the hardship that they go through, God is transforming their lives and bringing them to a fresh repentance of their sins and a devotion towards God, and for sure, a worship in who God is and his character. So, today, I wanted to take us to the book of Acts chapter 13 because The Apostle Paul gives this message to some Israelite people, and basically what he does is he kind of encapsulates the story of the Israelite people, the story that these people already knew. He puts in this kind of nice package and presents it to them in a fresh way to show them that God has been working the whole time, not just through their ancestors, but through them today, and that Jesus was the answer to the problem that they had in their lives. And that's my hope today is that, you know, we look at this story of this Jewish history, this Jewish heritage, and that we would see, man, that that Jesus fulfilled so much of what the Israelites hoped for, and Jesus fulfills so much of what we hope for today as well. So today's message is entitled, Signed, Sealed, and Delivered. I just want to present to you this kind of package of God's goodness in this story of the Israelite people, because the origin story of the Israelites is a prepackaged plan for us to receive. It's a package that contains hundreds of years of stories for us to glean from. We see God's king-like authority over his people. We see his justice towards the poor and towards the widowed. We see his father-like discipline towards his people. We see his closeness to those who follow him. And all of this is within the story of God and his people. So Paul and his story, it's really beautiful and it's pretty short as well. You can go to Acts chapter 13, read verses 16 through 48 and get the whole thing. But today I wanna break down the story into three big portions so we can kind of easily digest uh, this story together. But before we get into it, here's who Paul is talking to. I mentioned earlier that he's talking to some Israelite people, but they're not just any Israelite people. These are people who had had known who Jesus was and had seen him go to the cross. These are people who looked at the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and said, kill him, crucify him. These are people who were doubters. People who, they, they, they were looking for a king. They had been anticipating a king, 
but they could have never expected that Jesus was the fulfillment of the king that they had hoped for because Jesus brought in a kingdom that was much different than what they had anticipated. And so Paul is looking at them, seeing their hopes and their dreams, everything that they wanted for their culture and their lives, and says, man, you guys had it all wrong, but let me lay out to you your story. Let me lay out how God's been working the whole time and show you that Jesus has a message for you and that it's not too late to trust in him and to give your life to him. So the very beginning of the story is so beautiful. This is, this is kind of point number one. Israel's story began with God. Paul starts off this, this story to the Israelite people by reminding them that in verse 17, God chose them and made the Israelite people group great while they're in captivity in Egypt. So Paul's going back in history and saying, man, God had chosen you way back when, and back when Israel was in captivity to Egypt, God was still making them a great people. He, he multiplied the people from 70 people when they first went into captivity to over 2.5 million people. So, man, God blessed them with children and made them a great nation inside of Egypt. But if you remember the story, the Israelites were oppressed in Egypt. So God, in verse 17 here, led them out of slavery and into freedom. This is beautiful. This shows us that God's love was flowing through his plan and it was seen through his power. And what we see here with Paul's kind of first like introduction to the story is this, is that Egypt may have tried to enslave Israel, but God was there to save Israel. In verse 17, it says this, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he, God, led them out of it. This is the whole beginning of the story for the Israelites, that they were chosen by God. They had, you know, been enslaved to Egypt and God had not forgotten them. He remembered that he had chosen them and he delivered them from Egypt. Now, this is a very true uh, reality for you and me as well. God is looking to free us from our if you want to call it like our Egypt, I have nothing against Egypt, by the way. <laughs> Love my brothers and sisters in Egypt. But to kind of go along with the story here, just think for a moment, what is your Egypt? What is God trying to bring you out of into freedom? God has chosen you, but man, in these bodies, in this life, in this culture, in this society, we've been caught up with sin. We've been caught up with things that hang us up from really entering into real healthy relationship with Jesus. So think for a second, what is your Egypt? I'll give you a clue. This is how you know that there's an Egypt in your life. If there's something that causes you from experiencing true freedom in Jesus, that is an Egypt. So look at your life. Know that God is leading you into joy and peace and patience and kindness. He wants to take you 
to this home full of rest and then look at where you're at right now and what is preventing you from from really going to where Jesus is calling you to go. That is your Egypt. Now, God wants to take you out of this, but it's different for all of us. This is just one kind of part of the story that he wants to take you out. But just think with me for a second. What is that for you? I know for me, my personal Egypt has been my fear. I've just grown up as a fearful person. Um, I feel like I've kind of wrestled with a bit of anxiety my whole life, a bit of nervousness, just kind of concerned. And uh, that's been something that's been a real kind of hard thing for me to work through in my life and has prevented me from taking real steps of action in my faith and in my life. And I know that God is trying to really work that out of me. And don't get me wrong, there have been moments where God has stepped in, I feel like fill me with this spirit and kind of empowered me to take a big step of faith. I think about when I asked Chesley to marry me or when I asked her to move to California from Florida. Those were big moments of faith for me. Those were moments where God kind of led me through the fear into courage. But as just kind of like the soundtrack of my life, if you want to call it that, there has just been this underlying sense of just concern and anxiety. And so that's been something for me that God has really been working out. I'm 30 years old right now. I still feel like he has got so much room to do that, to, to really take me through in that area. But think about your life. Maybe that's a relationship that is really holding you back from really jumping into what God has called you. Maybe it's a mindset that you have. Maybe you wouldn't even recognize it right now, but maybe by the leading and prompting of the Spirit, he would show you like that this is a particular mindset that you need to work through in order to experience freedom with me. Maybe right now you're in a literal place, just like the Israelites were, where you just got to get out. You got to get out of Dodge to be able to actually experience some freedom. But just think with me, what is keeping you from living boldly for Jesus? What is your Egypt? And then kind of taking a step back from that, just think with me for a second, what is God trying to do for you in your Egypt. You know, you look back at the Israelites, they were in Egypt and they, they start off as 70 people, grew to 2.5 million people. God was doing stuff as they were in Egypt. He was still blessing them with children. They were having family, having relationships. Now think through what God might be trying to do in you through your time behind bars in a sense, maybe in your room at home? What What is God trying to do with you right now? Because remember this, Egypt isn't just a place to get out of as quickly as possible. It is a place to, to move past so that God can really lead you into, you know, quote unquote, your promised land. But God is working out and refining you in that time of being in Egypt. God might be trying to do something really powerful in your life right now while you're at home, maybe with your parents, or maybe you're at home right now and you're all alone, and you're just working through what does your faith look like right now during this time of you know, kind of isolation in a lot of ways. Um, this is a time where we actually get to really see what, what is our faith made out of? What am I made out of? Um, Jesus is trying to do something powerful inside of you. And this is like 
a big part of the ministry of Jesus. It's this idea of bringing things that are dead to life, things that are hurt to healing, bringing slavery to freedom. God is always on mission to bring us out of Egypt into the promised land. And we see that in a real way through Jesus when he goes to the grave and comes back to life. He not only did that for himself, he did that for you and for me. Jesus on the cross defeated Satan's greatest weapon, which was death, with his greatest destination, which is life. Check this out from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 43. The same Paul who's kind of laying out this story for the Israelites says this in the book of 1 Corinthians. It, the human body, is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. It's all through the spirit of God in our lives. Jesus' greatest work is actually done in our death or maybe in our Egypt. This is where the power of God is on full display in our lives. You have to know that today, that you may be in some kind of Egypt right now. And rather than despising it, know that there's a direction forward that God wants to take you, but don't despise the moment right now. Ask God, what are you trying to do in my life right now? What, what are the dead things in my life right now you're trying to bring to life? And maybe what are the things that have been going on in my life that maybe haven't been glorifying you? How do you want to maybe remove those from my life? Refine me as a person so that I can be the, the best version of myself for you, God, right now and for the people around me. Egypt is a great place for refinement and for character and for growth. So don't despise it, but know that God has a plan for you in it and that he wants to lead you into greater things. That's the first thing that Paul talks about here. Israel's story begins with God doing this work in their lives. But then he moves on and says that Israel's story is continued with God. It doesn't only begin with God, but it continues with God. In verse 18, we read that God was patient. or My translation says that God put up with them. He put up with the Israelites while they learned how to exercise faith in Christ. In verse 18, it says this, And for about 40 years, he, God, put up with them in the wilderness. I just love that language. God's like, he's there, but he recognizes that, man, these people are just kind of punks at the same time. Like, I'm just kind of putting up with them. But God did that. And check out what he did in verse 19. He won victories for them when they came up against their enemies, and he gave them land to call home. In verse 19, it says this, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. So God put up, he had patience with the Israelites, he fought on their behalf, and he gave them a land of their inheritance. Notice that the Israelites didn't really do anything in this part of the story. The continuing momentum isn't carried along by what the Israelites did in their faith is all by the goodness and well-being of God towards them. This shows us God's patience, but also his discipline and his kindness. This is what we really see. We see that God's kindness 
allow them to continue. God's kindness allowed them to continue. I was thinking about this today. You know, um, there's this great theologian. He's since passed, but his name was Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian who was really active during World War II and afterwards. And he was one of those really smart, well-educated Christians. He studied theology, but he's also a pastor. Um, And he had this real bent towards being an ambassador for Jesus and for people. He loved people. He loved the faith. He loved academia. But he did notice something when he was in Germany. He had a hard time connecting his theological studies with his pastoral ministry, kind of seeing them fused together and seeing real like any kind of change happening in his church just by the mere study and kind of ministry that he was doing and he felt like he was really missing something he said uh, i i can't remember the exact quote that he said but he said something along the lines that his academic studies if this is all that it was really about was just learning more learning more learning more that uh man that this is going to lose him real quick, that all this academia is just going to miss him spiritually. So he got kind of like a little fed up when he was in Germany, and he actually went to a couple different places to study to see like, man, what is like this Christian faith, you know, that I'm studying, like where does it really like get into action? Where does it really kind of like go from just my head to my feet where I can really move forward with my faith? And his travels took him to America, And of all the places in America, it took him to Harlem, New York. And in Harlem, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this German man, meets this African-American minister who gets into his life, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer learns from this man a way of living a faith that was so powerful, so feet on the ground, so hands on people, and, and he loved it. He's like, this is what I've been searching for the whole time. And this is what the essence of the Christian faith that was practiced in Harlem preached. It was a faith that centered around the person and the character and the nature and the work of Jesus. It was a Christocentric faith. And this is the faith that really took Dietrich into a whole new level of apprenticeship with Jesus. He wrote books about discipleship and about the church and about faith and about really seeing your faith come into action into everyday life. And this is all I'm trying to say through this story is that God was patient and put up with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, that might sound like a weird thing to say. You're like, it sounds like Bonhoeffer was doing all these amazing things like studying and traveling and exercising his faith. And he totally was, totally was. But Bonhoeffer wrestled with a bit of apathy as well. He was a bit frustrated. He got a little fed up at times. And all through his journey, God was so patient and kind and considerate towards him to allow some of these things that could become a real stronghold. He could have become real bitter at the church and at academia. But God was so kind to just allow him to slowly but surely learn about this Christian faith that he gave his life to. And it accumulated into this moment where, man, Bonhoeffer was just wrecked by Jesus and his life was totally transformed through the ministry 
of this African-American church in the heart of Harlem. And I just love that story. It shows me that, man, as you're moving forward in your faith, you may not, you may feel like some things don't make sense. You may feel like there's some certain enemies in your mind that are holding you back from really like experiencing joy and peace. You may feel like you're trying to exercise your faith, but it just feels weird and clunky. But God is with you all the time, just like he was with Bonhoeffer. His spirit is active and moving in our hearts to remove those false narratives, those incorrect perspectives, and to allow us to see, oh yeah, it's all about Jesus. That is where the real meat and potatoes of the gospel is at, is in this relationship, this following, this devotion to Jesus. But all along the journey, God was so patient with Bonhoeffer. God was so patient with the Israelites. They were only able to continue because of the kindness of God. And that's the same thing for me and you today. Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey with Jesus, however that's looking for you, you may have some questions. You may be a little bit bitter. You may be having some kind of hang-up in your mindset towards the faith. Remember, man, that as you continue to pursue God, as you remain in this place of just looking to Him, wanting to learn from Him, humbly coming before Him, even coming with pride, God is still working. He's just looking for you to respond. And He will remove those incorrect perspectives and lead us towards Jesus. So the story continues with God. And then... At the end, this is what Paul talks about. He talks about how the story finds its fulfillment in Jesus. The story finds its fulfillment in Jesus. It begins with God, it continues with God, and it finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And in this fulfillment, we see that the Israelites were delivered by God. In verses 20 through 22, we see that God gave kings and prophets to Israel um, because they asked for it. They weren't that great? I mean, you go through the book of Judges, holy cow, you're like, man, Israel, why are you asking for more kings? These people are terrible. You lose all hope in humanity when you look at these kings that were given to Israel. But they wanted them. God gave them to them. They weren't the solution that they really need needed. But in 23, verse 23, what we see is that Paul talks about how God prophesied that Israel's Savior was coming and he delivered him through Jesus. Check out verse 23 right here, of this man's offspring, he's looking back at David, at David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, I'm not the savior. No, but behold, after me is coming the one of whose sandal I cannot untie. God was fulfilling the Israelite story, not with them coming to some great victory in themselves, not with them just coming to the promised land even, but the fulfillment of the story was really in a person that came from the line of Israel. It was the Savior. It was Jesus. This shows us that God knows all, he provides all, and that he was on 
this mission the whole time to deliver the people of Israel, not just from their captivity, but from their sin and from their incorrect perspectives of what the kingdom should look like. God was delivering them through Jesus. He was fulfilling the story through Jesus. Jesus was the solution. Jesus was the solution beyond anything that the Israelites thought they needed. They experienced glimpses of what a prophet or a priest or a king could offer them. You look back in the Old Testament, there are many prophets, there are many priests, many kings. They saw good examples and really bad examples of all of them. But the fullest revelation of these roles would come only through the Savior, only through the fulfillment of the life of Jesus. Later on in Acts 13, Paul is kind of starting to wrap things up. In Acts 13, verse 38, he says this, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Now this is getting into some like pretty Jewish kind of heritage right here. What Paul is looking back on is the law of God. Now the law was this gift from God to people that allowed people to make atonement for their sins, that they were able to, you know, as they sinned, as they broke relationship with God, they were able to offer sacrifices to God, and that would kind of set the record straight in a sense, and the relationship would be restored. Paul's looking back at that and saying, look, the lot was beautiful. It was perfect. It was from God. There's nothing wrong with it, but it couldn't do everything. It could remove sin and guilt on our behalf before God, but it could not free us from what's really going on inside of us. It couldn't penetrate to the hearts of mankind. It couldn't transform hearts. It couldn't change minds even necessarily. It was a beautiful set of rules to and guidelines and practices and sacrifices to make sure that we could come back into right relationship with God, but it could not get to the core of who we are. And Paul here is saying that everyone who believes in Jesus is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. What Paul is getting at here is that Jesus not only frees us from you know, the, the requirements of the law, he gives us kind of a new law to fulfill, to love God and to love people, but he doesn't only just rem- remove the, the kind of weight of the law from our lives by fulfilling it, he did that, but he gets down deep into our hearts and transforms us from the inside out. When Jesus you know, rose from the grave, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and before he did that, he's, he told his disciples, look, I'm going to send one to you who will come and minister to your hearts. And he was speaking about the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit of God who would come on the day of Pentecost, would fill the, the hearts and minds of the disciples, 
and transform them in a way that no other word, message, thought could. This is the Spirit of God who would come to dwell inside of them and literally rearrange their hearts and their emotional, mental, spiritual makeup in a sense. The Spirit would get inside and rebirth people. And this is what Jesus came to do. This is the fulfillment of Jesus in our lives. The story doesn't end with us coming to some great revelation of who we are ourselves. It doesn't come from us recognizing something inside of us that needs to be fixed and us going through a, a series of practices to kind of fix ourselves from, from within. Jesus doesn't preach that kind of message. Instead, instead what he sa- says to us is that, man, you have been born into sin. Through Adam, we are all born into sin. There's a sin issue inside all of us. But like we see with the Israelite story, it doesn't have to end there. God doesn't turn his eye from us in our sin. Instead, he sees it, wants to deal with it, and provides the solution for it. And then he fills us with his spirit so that we can walk through this life with God's power inside of us. This is the story of redemption that Jesus alone can bring. And it all comes through a faith in Jesus as the Savior. These Israelites who are hearing this story from Paul could have received this message no problem, you know, and experienced faith and the Holy Spirit coming into their lives and their hearts being transformed, but they just didn't do it. They couldn't do it. They wanted to hear more. They asked Paul to come back in a future uh, Sabbath day to, to teach again, but they weren't going to have that experience of the Spirit dwelling inside them and transforming them without a faith and devotion to Jesus. But this is what the story shows us, is that it's actually possible from us to go from a place of total depravity, a place where we are enslaved to our sins or to um, some other maybe mindset that's holding us back. We can, we can be there. God can work in our lives through that. But ultimately, what he's leading us towards is full devotion in the fulfillment of Jesus. He's leading us into discipleship, into living a life that is all about following the plans and the words and the teachings and the methodology of Jesus. So in closing, God will bring you out of your Egypt, but he will also do deep work inside of you while you're in your Egypt. God will be patient with you and he will take out obstacles that prevent you from coming home to him. And God will never leave you as promised through the ministry of Jesus. If there's one thing that the ministry of Jesus shows us is that God will go to any length, any measure necessary to get to your heart, to win you back to him. And this is the plan that God has for you. Now, I know that you're at home right now and you're trying to figure out what life is going to look like after shelter in place. Or maybe you are in a state of mind right now where 
you don't even care. All you're trying to do is just stay at home and just kind of numbly work through you know, your classes and whatever's going on in your life. And maybe you feel like you don't even have purpose right now, let alone in the future. What you need to know right now is that God is working through your life. I encourage you to respond to him. I encourage you to crack open your Bible, even if it's got dust all over it. Maybe it's on an app on the last page of your phone right now. I encourage you, pop it open, break it open, and go through God's word regularly. God speaks through his word. I mean, man, if you come to him with a humble, open heart and make some space, don't try to rush it, don't try to just blast through anything, just like read a couple chapters, spend some time in prayer, just get alone with God. Man, we're talking about a relationship here, you guys. We're talking about setting aside some time where you put your phone down or whatever, you know, you make some coffee or some food, some tea, and you just like, don't keep your eye on the clock. Like, make sure there's enough time for you to spend time with Him and just get alone with Him. Maybe wake up a little bit earlier. Maybe get in your car and go to the beach just by yourself. Maybe get some time later on in the evening after dinner before you wind down and go to bed. Just get some time with Him. I just know that He is trying to work out some things in your life because this is the rhythm at which He moves in the hearts of his people. God is always looking to bring you out of slavery and into the promised land and into a relationship and a devotion, a reliance on Jesus. That's God's plan for you. I hope you grab a hold of it. This is not just for the Israelites thousands of years ago. It's not just for your parents. It's not just for your pastors or your friends. This is for you today. Respond to Jesus today. Thanks for being here today. Come back next Tuesday for a new episode here of the For the Bible Tells Me So podcast. Check the show notes for info about following and interacting with the young adult ministry throughout the week during Shelter in Place. We hope to see you soon.